But church, there's only two masters. There's sin or there's God. And the question today is which one are you serving? You're listening to a sermon series titled Romans, preached at Shoreline Church. For more audio or theological content, please visit thisisshoreline.com. reading from verse 15 to verse 23. So let's read this together. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification." For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and in the end, or and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's word. The title of today's sermon is The Fraud of Autonomy. And I want to build a case for you before we dive into our text this morning. If you're new to our church or watching online, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're tuned in. But we study the scriptures verse by verse, and we are in the book of Romans. This is where we land today, Romans chapter 6. So we're glad you're here. Uh, No one gave me inside information to try to sneak into the sermon. Uh, This is God's word for all of us today. And I want to kind of build a case before we look at this text together. And that is that all of us, all humankind, lives with this false notion that we're independent. That we are, you could say, autonomous to a certain degree. Indeed, those of us here with a Western mindset or specifically an American mindset, we hold up independence and freedom which doesn't sound like a bad thing. Give me my freedom, give me my autonomy, give me my independence. We hold that up to a very high degree. And you might be here today and say, yes, I am free. And I'd say, okay, are you? Are you truly free? And you'd say, yes, even though the companies are listening to every conversation I have through my technology 24-7, and yes, they're creating an advertising scheme to lure me to purchase their products, (laughs) it's okay, I'm totally free. Or you might say, yeah, I know the world system is plunging its worldview headlong against me through politics, education, the media, conventional wisdom, and like Niagara Falls, it's just eroding my biblical worldview constantly with this nonstop deluge, but it doesn't affect me at all. I'm totally free. You might say, like, you know, when it comes to people, to relationships, I'm free. I don't make commitments because I've been told my whole life, don't settle for anything and especially not in relationships. So 
I don't get close to people. I'm free from all the drama, from all the commitment, from all the difficulty that close relationships require. I'm not going to restrict my schedule to allow for community because that means people get close to me. And that means I have to be vulnerable. And that means that uh, I actually may get hurt. Wait, become a member of a church? Wait, that means having to yoke myself willingly to other believers, and that sounds like the opposite of freedom. So we've been kind of uh, fostered in a, in a mindset that any hindering of my personal autonomy uh, is seen as a personal affront against my identity, against my humanity. So we think that we're free from, but the reality is true freedom is not freedom from anything. It's freedom to something greater. The illustration I would use is a train. And you, I think we have a picture. I love this picture. You can remove the train from the tracks. Like, woo, I'm free. But we know how far that freedom is going to take you. This train may be free from the restraint of the tracks, but it's most free when it's limited to those very tracks. So removing all constraints and barriers renders the train useless. But you could say enslaving the train to the tracks actually makes it free. And in like manner, you and I have been designed by God not to be independent, but to be interdependent. To be truly free is something the world doesn't understand. And so I would say autonomy in its biblical definition is a fraud. It's actually just another form of slavery. So as we open our text this morning, we are contextually in a section of Romans where Paul is addressing what's known as sanctification. That is, he's already spoken in chapters 1 through 4 about how all of us, as mankind, we all stand condemned and guilty before the holy creator God. And he's previously made what most people would argue is a legal argument that if you and I have received the imputed righteousness of Christ, we have been declared right with God because of the finished work of Christ on our behalf. We are now justified. So we're going to put three, three words on the screen, three concepts. And that is that in our justification, you and I have been set free. Those are two important words for our text today. You and I have been set free from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin no longer has control over you. You're free from the penalty of sin. In our sanctification, in our growth now, we're being set free from the power of sin. And one day, praise God, in our glorification, we'll finally and forever be set free from the presence of sin. So Paul previously has used the imagery of baptism in the first few verses of chapter 6. You can go back and read that later if you hadn't seen it yet. And you can read ahead for next week at the beginning of chapter 7. He's going to move on to this imagery of marriage and the law and sin and how they're related. Well, here in this second section of Romans 6, we get the imagery of slavery. And we're going to be introduced in our text that we just read to two masters and two slaves and two outcomes of their slavery. Listen, church, here's the rub. There's not a third master. That means we're all enslaved, you could say, to either sin or we're enslaved to something far greater, which we would say righteousness or to God himself. But either way, this morning, I want to make the case that you're enslaved. Some of you love Bob Dylan. He had a birthday recently. And so remember, he sang this back in the 70s. We're going to sing this together. No, we, we won't. We're not going to sing this. Don't worry. But he sang the song, Gotta Serve Somebody. You guys remember that one? Raise your hand if you remember that song. Okay, good. Both of you have heard that song. Well, for the uninitiated, <clears throat> he says, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. 
Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, he says it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. In fact, the word slave or enslaved occurs eight times in this short text. They're only missing from three verses, but they're in every other verse. So we're going to ask three questions and answer three questions in our text today. If you take notes, which I hope you do, uh, we're going to answer these questions. First in verses 15 through 17, whose slaves are we? And we're going to answer that question today. This is for you to participate in. Whose slaves are you? Not only that, secondly, verses 18 through 20, we're going to say or answer the question, what are we free from if we're a slave to this one master, but then what are we free to? And then finally, in verses 21 through 23, we're going to see what is the outcome of being enslaved to this master. So that's where we're going today. That's our template. Let's begin in verse 15. This should be a familiar question to you. You should have some alarm bells going off. Look at verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? What is his response? Yell it out, church. Well, you are way better than early service. They did not have their caffeine yet. They were not awake. Yeah, verse 15 should sound similar to verse 1. We studied verse 1 last week. But now when Paul uses this notion, when he says, are we to sin, circle the word sin, he doesn't mean like he meant in verse 1. What he meant in verse 1 was persistent, habitual, continual, living a lifestyle of habitual sin. What he says here, because the Greek doesn't, uh, or the English doesn't get what the Greek's giving us, what he says here is, are we to commit a sin in a singular act? So this isn't living a lifestyle and pattern. This is just, so he's almost saying like, okay, we've already answered that first question. Now let's, should we even sin at all? Are we to even continue in these momentary uh, lapses back into our sin? But notice in verse 15, he adds a little clause. He says, because we're not under law, but under grace. Verse 14, he mentioned what we studied last week. Sin has no dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. Now, you'd expect him to say in verse 14, since you're not under sin, but under grace, but he says law. And we don't have time today. And also because chapter seven really deep dives into law, we're not really going to cover that today. We're going to stick with where Paul goes. Um, So uh, come back next week and the following week, we'll dive into what the law's relationship to us today and sin will be. And one of those Sundays, Pastor Mike is going to tackle it. I'm going to leave him the tough text uh, for him to tackle. So his point for now is that just because you're under grace doesn't mean you're free from the demands of righteousness. So just think about this. Your standard of life under grace shouldn't be inferior to your standard of life under the law. And under the law, sin has the upper hand because the law tells you what to do, but it doesn't give you the power to do it. So the law says that's forbidden. And whenever, you and I know this, whenever our sinful, fallen flesh hears, you're not allowed to do that. We go, allowed to do what? You're not allowed to eat of that tree. Which tree (laughs) did you particularly say? And so our sinful flesh loves to pursue what God forbids. But under the law, you're not really free. So does that mean under grace you are? Oh, so I'm under grace now. So now I'm free to sin. Is that what we're trying to get at as a Christian? Well, Paul says, by no means. Just because you're under the grace covering doesn't mean, yeah, it's fine. God's good with it. Grace covers that. Notice Paul's answer again. He says, by no means. And then we get to verse 16. Look with me at verse 16. Again, that question, don't you know this? You should know this. What do we know? Do you not know if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, 
Notice the difference. Either of sin, which leads to death, or you're a slave of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, let's stay together here. Um, Circle the word slaves here in verse 16. Paul's presenting the imagery of a slave obediently offering themselves willingly to someone. Will someone take me as a slave? Uh, I want to be enslaved. I want to be controlled. I want a master. Will will, Will anyone take me? And the Greek word, if you uh, highlighted or circled the word slave, um, the Greek word is the word used throughout the New Testament, doulos. Uh, Paul would say, I'm a slave or I'm a servant, a bond servant, a willing servant of Christ. I'm a, I'm a doulos. I love that word. But the word for master or Lord uh, in the New Testament, the Greek word is kurios. So the idea is that we are going to be enslaved to some master. But Jesus said it in John 13, 13 to his closest disciples. He says, you call me teacher and kurios, Lord, master, and, and you are right, for so I am. So it's right to call him Lord. Now, this analogy of a slave and a master, an owner, is a little bit hard for us to translate here today in our culture. It would have been very understandable for the church in Rome who heard this. Slavery in the Roman Empire came in various forms, and John Stott provides some clarification. We don't have the, um, the quote on the screen, but listen to what John Stott says. He says, This concept may surprise us because we tend to think of Roman slavery, our slaves, as having been captured in war or bought in the marketplace, not as having offered themselves. But there was such a thing as voluntary slavery. He says people in dire poverty could offer themselves as slaves to someone simply in order to be fed and housed. Paul's point is that those who thus offered themselves invariably had their offer accepted. They could not expect to give themselves to a slave master and simultaneously retain their freedom. And then he says it's the same with spiritual slavery. So there is this idea of willingly offering yourself as a slave. Now, the Greek scholar um, West defined this ancient Greek word by these terms. Notice on the screen. He says, no, a slave is one born into a condition of slavery. It's one whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. If you're a slave, you're bound to the master with bonds that only death can break, and you serve your master to the disregard of your own interests. Now look at that list for a minute. Isn't that the condition that you and I were in when we were in Adam? That aptly describes us. We were born as slaves of sin. Our will was swallowed up, you could say, in in captivity to sin. You and I were in bondage to the point that only the death of Christ and our union with him in his crucifixion and resurrection had the power to break that bondage. And we, you and I, served our sin even to the extent that our own self-interest, you could say, or our best interests were ignored because we allowed sin to have such control that we were let it lead to our destruction. And for some of us, it was close to doing that. So when Paul says, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, can you guys circle that word obey? Very fascinating Greek word. The Greek word is hupokuo. And the word there is really two Greek words. Uh, Hupo, which means under, and akuo, which means to hear. So literally, the word obey means under hearing. Or you could say, you're under the authority of the person who's speaking or commanding. So obedience is not just like active listening, like, oh, I hear, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Some of us have kids that are like that. Like, like well, you guys know what we're supposed to do. Yeah, I hear you, Dad. 
but I'm still going to disobey. That's not the idea. It's not just active listening. It's being fully compliant underneath the words of the person speaking. So follow me. When you present yourself to sin, you're now enslaving yourself to the commands or the demands of the master. And the end result, Paul says, of being a slave to sin is death. However, on the flip side, when you present yourself to God, I don't like the phrase you're enslaved, but you are now submitted to underneath what God has commanded you to do and your obedience to his commands leads not to death, but to righteousness. So verse 16 really is a summary of the entire uh, text. So if you miss verse 16, I think you miss everything. But there's two ideas from verse 16. And the first idea is that when you look at this, you realize, oh, my obedience is maybe a mirror or a litmus test of where my heart is at. Who am I enslaved to? Like this morning, have you lived in such a way that you are completely bound to your passions, to your lust, to the lust of your flesh, your eyes, the pride of life? You just go with your sin nature. Well, then according to this, this is a revelation of who you've been enslaved. You're yoking yourself in slavery to sin. But if you're like, no, I'm resisting temptation, I'm walking in obedience, I'm seeking to glorify God, well, then I am desiring to be yoked uh, to Christ. I'm a slave of righteousness. So that's the first thing we realize. But the second thing is that there's really no neutral ground, is there? It's not like, well, you can choose to be a slave to sin or a slave to God, or you can just kind of back out of both. I like what uh, Christopher Ash, uh, the commentator, says on this. He says, what I cannot be is a slave to no one. So I cannot be a slave to my own autonomous self. And this is because sin is by nature the service of myself. And this part frustrates me in a good way. He says, the moment I decide to serve myself and be a slave to no one, I sin and by definition become a slave to sin. There's no place of neutrality. And he says, to use an analogy from World War II, there's no spiritual Switzerland. So you can't sit back and like, I'm not getting involved in this fight. I'm just going to arm, you know, we're just, we're disarmed. We're good. We're, we're going to stay out of the battle. No, you got to serve somebody. Now notice Paul's Thanksgiving in verse 17. He says in verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who, who past tense were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So I think it's clear. At one time, we were all, all mankind, slaves of sin. Uh, sin was our master, meaning you could say that sin had complete, exclusive, unbroken possession of us. Isn't that true of some of us? You think about, yeah, that's true of all of us. We were bound in sin like a slave being manipulated, controlled, commanded to obey. I would say in a phrase, we had to sin. We had no other choice. We were bound in our sin. We had to sin. But Paul says, but thanks be to God, we now have a new master. And now this master has complete, exclusive, unbroken possession of us. So we are now under his authority. And now we're completely able to submit to his commands, which means when the old master comes knocking to give us the demands and the commands previously, we're free not to because we have a new master. We have new desires and we have new commands. And now Paul says here in verse 18 that we've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which we were committed. Now, this is a beautiful concept that really doesn't translate super well from Greek to English. So I want to kind of... Um, communicate this rightly. Please follow me here. The text does not say, notice it does not say, you dedicated yourself to the teaching. 
you did your best to be obedient and you've been clinging to Christ. And because you're clinging to Christ and you've been holding on for dear life like someone on a roller coaster who realizes the, the seat came unbuckled, you're just going to hold on. The, the stronger you hold on, man, you've just been obedient to the, That's not the idea here. The idea here is not that you dedicated yourself to the teaching, but you've been dedicated over to it. In other words, not that you committed yourself, but you've been committed to it. Do you see the difference? We were placed into the doctrine of the gospel. And though we once obeyed our sin from our flesh, now we have a new heart. And so we are able to obey God from the heart. One scholar said you could translate this as you've been put into the mold of doctrine that you've been cast into. The idea is that this is a picture of the believer being cast into a mold like molten metal. You were melted down and formed by the preaching of the word, by the doctrine of the gospel in such a way that the image of God in true righteousness and holiness was actually stamped upon you or, or by the, upon us by the Holy Spirit when we believed. So now we just obey from the heart, not because I'm going to hold on and do my best to commit myself. No, because I was committed to it by him. Not because the teaching was entrusted to the care of the Christian. No, the Christian was entrusted to the care of the teaching. You guys see the difference? It's such a beautiful picture. But church, there's only two masters. There's sin or there's God. And the question today is which one are you serving? Now, that being said, there's a second section which we clarify who or what we are free from and to. So notice with me verse 18. Second half. He says, and having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. And then he says in verse 19, kind of, kind of uh, clarifies it. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. So, so Paul is trying to say like, look, you guys weren't able to get this. So I had to bring the cookies down to the bottom shelf so, so you guys could get this. I'm using an imagery that that isn't great. He says, I'm speaking in human terms. In other words, I'm using a, an analogy or a, a metaphor an illustration, but illustrations fall short, don't they? Like they're helpful. Um, there's going to be some in the sermon today. And sometimes I notice when people are listening to the sermon and they're just like, like clear, <laughs> wake up. Are you with me? Do you got, you, you got anything? Um, Bueller, right? Uh, and then there's other times where you start saying a story or an illustration and all the eyes perk up, you know, oh, I'm, I'm paying attention now. And I, I like um, someone said, um, illustrated truth, it becomes intelligible truth. And, and, and that's true. If you can illustrate, put it in kind of a, an easy term for me to get, now I got it. However, though illustrations are great, they've been called windows into a home. You don't want the entire house made of glass, right? So illustrations are helpful, but if you're listening to a sermon and it's all illustrated, let me tell you a story, and it's all story time with Pastor Pilgrim, right? Then we've got a problem uh, because those illustrations fall apart. Even Jesus' parables were meant to illustrate one idea, and when we start going, well, let's pick every little part. Who is the older brother? Who's the younger brother? What are the birds in the, in the tree? And then they make their nests in the branches. Let's try to, it starts breaking down. And so Paul's argument here is like, I'm trying to use an illustration, but it's not perfect. I'm using a human term and, because I want to help illustrate this. And then he says at the end of verse 19, four, here's the illustration. Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and lawlessness that led to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So the idea is you were a slave, but now you're, and he even says in his own text, you know, maybe slave isn't the best term to use. 
Um, Christopher Ashe says it this way. These aren't, these aren't equal slaveries. He says, speaking of two slaveries helps us understand the transfer, but they're very different slaveries. We're transferred from a cruel slavery to a gracious slavery, from a closed slavery to an open slavery, from a forced response to a free response, from a slavery that leads to death into a slavery that leads to life. So one is enslaved to sin. That person, notice verse 20, when you were slaves of sin, you were free. What was I free from? Well, you were free in regard to righteousness. So if you were enslaved to your sin, and we all were, then you were free, so to speak, from every kind of good. Now, we mentioned this in our, our small, one of our small groups on Monday night with our men's ministry. Men, if you're not involved in our men's ministry, I just want to invite you to that and encourage you to be a part of that. It's the first Monday of every month uh, at Brett West's house. Great time together. And in one of our small groups with some men, we were talking about how some unbelievers can and will exhibit a little bit of restraint. They may not full bore go into their sin. They may restrain themselves from evil and even produce some good things, right? That's the difference between utter depravity and total depravity. But see, being thankful for that, saying like, well, I'm not that bad of a sinner, um, that is similar to commending a child molester who donates a little bit of money each month to Compassion International. So you may have contributed some perceived good to the world, but that doesn't in any way lessen or negate the horrors of iniquity that you've also contributed. So before Christ, we're actually cut off from or free from every form of righteousness. So the slave of sin is, I don't like the phrase free to, but in a sense they're free to lawlessness. We would say they're enslaved to lawlessness, wouldn't we? Now this, according to Paul, notice, it's a downward spiral that descends into more lawlessness. I said in the early service, this is not like you sin and get on a treadmill and you're just walking the same sinful lifestyle apart from God. This is more like an escalator that descends down. So you're not just kind of, I'm just, I keep sinning in the same patterns. No, it devolves into more debauchery, into more darkness, into more wickedness. It's a progression, more accurately, a digression. When we begin with lawless, treasonous rebellion against a holy God, we become enslaved. And then someone comes along and says, you just got to be a better person. Like you just need to try more. Like you just need to kind of come into the church and just become a better person. And that's like handing someone a hoverboard and strapping their feet into it and then making sure there's no batteries in the hoverboard, setting them on a steep hill and say, ascend the hill. Just go for it. What, what's going to happen? We know that's, that's useless. It's a, a failing pursuit. And so what happens when we sin and we're slaves of sin is that we, we devolve into into more and more lawlessness. You and I have experienced that, haven't we, before Christ? Uh, Tim Challey is one of my favorite bloggers and authors. He posted an article years ago where AOL had revealed, remember AOL? <laughs> they had revealed, so this is years ago, but they had revealed some um, search history of some people, um, and he was just commenting on even our search history reveals the state of our fallen nature. And so he um, actually posts some of the search results of this really struggling woman who was completely enslaved to her sin and was just going deeper and darker into darkness. And so he says this, for sake of space, I stripped out a large number of searches. And these happened over about a four to six month period. Now, I don't know if you can see it, but I'm going to read a few of them. So this woman began searching body fat caliper, how to curb morning sickness, how to get fit while pregnant. Then she searched, he doesn't want the baby. 
She said, she searched, you're pregnant, he doesn't want the baby. Well, at the same time, she was searching online Christian colleges, online degrees for theology, food, foods to eat when pregnant, baby names, physician search, best spa vacation deals, maternity clothes, buns of steel video. Uh, what is yoga? What is theism? About 20 seconds later, Hindu religion, yoga and Hindu. Is yoga aligned with Christianity? Yoga and Christianity. And then about a month later, abortion clinics, Charlotte, North Carolina. Greater Carolina's Women's Center. Can Christians be forgiven for abortion? Roe v. Wade. Symptoms of miscarriage. Water aerobics. Engagement gifts. Engagement rings. High-risk abortions. Benefit of water aerobics. Wedding gown styles. How to recover after a miscarriage. And then how to marry your live-in. And Chalice says this woman goes from searching about pregnancy to realizing the father doesn't want to keep the baby to researching abortion clinics to researching whether she can, according to her faith, choose abortion to dealing with a miscarriage. And at the end of it all, life goes on and she seems ready to go get married. Now, if you've had an abortion, I said this in first service, uh, we're not here to condemn. Uh, we know that in Christ there's hope uh, for any poor decision or sin that we've, any of us have committed. Uh, but that's an apt description of you and I before Christ, that we're in bondage. We commit lawlessness that descends to more and more lawlessness. But according to Paul, the slave, if you would, to righteousness, and I don't know if slave's the best word. I think biblically the picture is son. The true son is free from what? From sin and free to righteousness. So notice verse 19 again. Instead of going headlong, plunging down into more and more lawlessness, what do, what do we do in Christ? The servant of God dives deeper and deeper into righteous life. And that, he says, leads to sanctification. What's that? That's being more and more set apart and mature as the Holy Spirit conforms us constantly into the image of Christ. So you and I in Christ, we're not going deeper and deeper into sin. We're actually going deeper and deeper in our walk and our conformity to Christ. But here's the paradox. Slavery is actually freedom. And freedom is actually slavery. So those who have submitted to God, we experience an ever-increasing growth in grace and in truth and in purity and in purpose. So when we read this, being a slave of God, I like the word son better, that sounds like a lot of the life of freedom that we all have longed for. Like, I want a life of purity and truth and meaning. I'd like to have a life of purpose where I can go out and, and actually live it and enjoy it. But see, those who are imprisoned in their passions, they devolve further and further into despair and a life devoid of true meaning. And that actually sounds a lot, not like freedom, but like slavery. And so in the end, our third question is so key. What is the outcome? What happens if I live with this master or this master? Notice verse 21. He says, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And Paul says, look back, Christian. Look back at who you were before Christ and recount some of those things that, don't we do this? We forget. We look back and we go, oh man, those are the good old days. We kind of have like this fake nostalgia where we go back, oh, if I could just go back. Man, when I was a teenager, I was, I was kind of living it up. Man, those were the good old days. We, we, and I encourage you not to do this. Um, if, if you watched Hollywood movies when you were a kid, and now I made this mistake. You go back and watch them with your kids now. You're like, oh, the Goonies are great. And you turn on, like, whoa, fast forward, turn off. You don't realize, like, it, I think we have some memory loss when it comes to, we kind of gloss over some of, the, uh, some of the sin. And we do that. We look back at our old life before Christ, like, well, like Egypt. 
and Israel. Israel's like, can we just go back to Egypt? We hate the wilderness. We just want to go back to the leeks and the onions. No one said that ever, right? I want to go back to the onions and the leeks. But Israel had this foolish, oh, let's just go back to when we were, wait, when we were making bricks without straw and we were enslaved to the Pharaoh? That's what we want to go back to? And so Paul says, for the slave to sin, the current fruit is shame. And the end result of eating that fruit, here, take this fruit, it's poison, it's death. Marcus Rainsford speaks of the outcome of our folly. Think about your life in sin. And maybe some of you are currently walking in a lifestyle of sin and you're not born again by the Spirit of God. You're not a, a follower of Christ. This describes your life today. Faculties are abused. Affections are prostrated. Time was squandered. Influence was misused. My best friends were wronged. My best interests were violated in the end, ultimately. My love or love itself, especially the love of God, was outraged. And he says, or to sum it up in one word, the word that Paul uses is shame. I mean, think of the wake that our life before Christ left us in. There are tragic shadows that our sin cast upon us before we came to faith. Broken relationships, some of us estranged or broken marriages. Children that walked away from us. Diseases, health conditions, and everything else we can think back that, that brought ultimate shame. But see, the final outcome of those things, it wasn't freedom, was it? Oh, I was so free. Well, A.T. Pearson says, every sin tends to death. And if persisted in, it ends in death as its goal and fruit. May that be a warning to those of us who are still entertaining a life of sin. But see, the fruit of a life yielded to God, he says, is sanctification. And notice the end result. It's not death. It's life. It's eternal life. Verse 23 is a very familiar verse. We've, we see it on tracks. Some of us will post it online. Verse 23 says that, but sometimes it's so familiar that we don't hear it uh, the way it was intended in the context. Paul's saying the payday of working for that owner, the payday yields you death. Notice he doesn't say the wages of sin is death, the wages of God is eternal life. Notice that that's not the parallel. It's not wages. We're not working for our salvation. It's a free gift. So when we work for the wage under sin, we're crushed under it. And one day we're destroyed by it. But on the flip side, we don't work for eternal life. We are saved not by our works, but unto good works. So now that we're in Christ, we get to work as unto the Lord and use our gifts for his glory. We are the workmanship of Christ, Ephesians 2.10. Uh, and so we're not working for our salvation. We're already saved because of the finished work of Christ, his good works, you could say. And now we receive this free gift by repentance and faith. So the forgiven and clean heart is now free to be a son of God or use Paul's language, a slave of God. And instead of shame resulting in your death, we now experience holiness resulting in everlasting life. You don't seem convinced this morning how awesome this is. This is glorious good news that we should lean forward and amen because of the finished work of Christ. So we really have four words to apply this text to our life. We could use many more words, um, but for sake of time, four words. They all begin with an R just to impress you. The first word is remember. Remember that you are no longer a slave to sin. There's a story that's told. I think it's fake, uh, and it's got various forms. But there's a story that's told of a, a great eagle that was captured by a cruel owner. And this owner tied it to a wooden post, and, uh, and the rope was uh, tied to the eagle. 
And day after day after day, the eagle, because it was bound to that wooden post, would just walk pathetically in one unbroken circle, day after day after day, step after step. And the way the story goes, again, probably not true, but the way the story goes is that a new owner came, and the new owner untied the great eagle and set it free. And you know what happened. You're expecting the eagle to take off and begin to soar majestically through the clouds like they do, but instead, even though it's untethered to the pole, what did it do? It just continued, even with the new owner, to walk pathetically around and around and around. And the way the story goes is that's absurd. But that absurdity is what a Christian looks like who continues, though we're liberated, though we're free, we just continue to stay enslaved to our sins. So we need to remember, we need to remember we're no longer a slave to sin. We are now servants of God. We're sons of God, Jesus said in John chapter 8. So remember, be reminded of who you are and whose you are today in Christ. Secondly, though, for some of us, there may need to be this word, and that's the word repent. And that is to do what we did when we first came to Christ, and that is to stop offering ourselves to sin and to start offering ourselves to God. Spurgeon said that the choice is not, hmm, should I give, my, give up my freedom so I can submit to God? Rather, it is, should I serve sin or should I serve God? You're not giving up your freedom. You're actually experiencing more of true freedom. And so we admonish you today, if you've been walking in a lifestyle of sin, a pattern of sin, we want to admonish you today uh, to not come and say, let me, let me do better. Let me just really you know, dig in my heels and grit my teeth and make some fists and say no to sin. No, we want to encourage you today to, to turn in faith Stop sinning, and turn from it, and turn in faith to Christ. The way you did when you first believed. You said, man, I renounced that lifestyle. I renounced that. I wasn't free. I was in bondage. And so, Lord, help me to be yoked to you. So repent today. For some of us this morning, this third word is applicable, and that's the word receive. Now, this is for those of you who are not Christian. What I don't mean by receive his free gift of salvation is not for you to say, well, let me, what I hear you saying, and you would be hearing me incorrectly, well, what I hear you saying is, like, be less of a slave. So, like, kind of mod modify my behavior, clean up my act a little bit, and let me be less and less of a slave, and let me come into this community, and let me do what these people are doing. So, okay, I need to buy a Bible at the Resource Center, which is on sale today. Um, let me buy one of those Bibles, and what do they do? Oh, they take notes. They have, oh, I need a QR code. I need to do that. Oh, and those people, they lift their hands during singing. I don't know what that does, but I should do that and let me cuss a little bit less and let me stop drinking vodka and now go to Chick-fil-A and drink sweet tea because that's what Christians seem to do. And so so let, me, let me change this and try to add that. That's not what I'm saying at all. You've completely misunderstood me. Now, as much as I like the beach, it's impossible for me to live in the ocean permanently. In order for me to go underwater and not drown, I have to be transformed from a man to, what would it be, a merman? To, to a fish, <laughs> I have to be transformed, I have to be given gills because now I'm in a new environment. It's not that I, let me modify and hold my breath that only lasts so long. You see, the grace of God has transformed us from one environment to another. This isn't a small life correction where we tweak some things. This is, I've been transformed, I'm brought from death to life. I have a new master, I have a new heart, I have new desires, and I have a complete change from who I was to who I am. And so this morning, we're not asking you to come and try to be a better person. There's, that's an empty hope that some pastors get. Come to, the, 
come and be better. No, we want to tell you today to receive the gift of salvation because of the finished work of Christ, to repent of your sins and trust him. Well, finally, for all of us, number four, one more word, render. Render your life to God, as Paul says, your members as slaves to righteousness for God's glory. You and I are no longer slaves to that cruel taskmaster, but are co-heirs with Christ. And now we have the freedom to offer ourselves this morning, to offer all we are to God for his glory. Last week, we talked a little bit about what it means to offer our members, but let me add a few more. Today, I want you to think about this for a minute. Offer your mind, your heart, your hands, offer your feet, your internet searches, your affections, your downtime, both your vocation and your vacations, your intellect, your creativity, your energy, your finances, your family, your past, present, and future. Offer your very selves to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, Paul says that not, as, not to 25 individual Christians, not to 250. He says that to the body of Christ. So what would it look like if we had an entire covenant community who all collectively said, let's lock arms or lock shields together and let's, do, let's present ourselves together to God to be used for his glory and for our community's good. What would that look like? Well, I'd love to find out, wouldn't you? I'd love to see the impact that that would make if we together would offer our lives for God's glory. If we would say, you know what? I'm gonna limit some of my freedoms, not to be independent, but to become interdependent because I need the body of Christ. I need others to be in my life. So remember, repent, receive, and render your hearts to Christ this morning. As we close, we're going to sing uh, that familiar song, Living Hope. But notice on the screen, the chorus of that song we're about to sing says, Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You, God, have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. You see, this, this morning, this afternoon, as you're recounting maybe what was taught this morning, recounting this text of Scripture, I think with, along with that, we need to be doing what Paul did, and that is giving thanks to God. Like, there should be a measure of gratitude this morning to realize, I'm, I'm no longer that. Or if you're, you are, today you don't have to be. I no longer have to be enslaved to sin. I am now a son. I'm a slave to righteousness. And he's broken every chain. That should cause us to rejoice with gratitude. Amen? So thanks be to God. Let's stand together. And uh, I'm going to close with a prayer from Valley of Vision. So bow your heads with me. We'll pray this powerful Puritan prayer. Oh, my crucified but never wholly mortified sinfulness. Oh, my lifelong damage and daily shame. Oh, my indwelling and besetting sins. Oh, the tormenting slavery of a sinful heart. Destroy, oh God, the dark guest within whose hidden presence makes my life a hell. Yet you have not left me here without grace. The cross still stands and meets my needs in the deepest straits of the soul. I thank thee that my remembrance of the cross is like David's sight of Goliath's sword, which preached forth thy deliverance. The memory of my great sins, my many temptations, my falls, bring afresh into my mind the remembrance of thy great help, of thy support from heaven, of thy great grace that saves such a wretch as I am. There's no treasure so wonderful as that continuous experience of thy grace toward me, which alone can subdue the risings of sin within. O oh, gracious God, give me more of it. Sober me when I'm glad with any joy that does not come from thee. 
Lead me safely on to the eternal kingdom, not asking whether the road is rough or smooth. I request only to see the face of him I love to be brought into thy house in peace. Father, we pray that today, that we would be slaves to righteousness, true sons in the faith. We thank you for delivering us from the penalty and the power of sin and one day the presence of sin. And until that day, may we live for your glory. May we live truly free, yoked to the great master, the one who gave his son, uh, who not only took our place but became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Thank you that you've delivered us today. May we have gratitude and joy and may we continue to walk in righteousness and sanctification for your glory, for our community's good and for our pleasure. It's in Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Shoreline Church meets every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. at the Port on Lena Road. You can get more content and more information by visiting thisisshoreline.com. If you have any questions or any prayer needs, please don't hesitate to email us at info at God bless you.